Hi, I'm Mandy. And I'm Ben. And this is Behind the Visa Window with ex-visa officers. Where we give the insider's perspective on the U.S. visa interview process. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast, Behind the Visa Window. I'm here with my co-host, Ben Arterburn. And today we're going to talk about visa ineligibilities and visa waivers for non-immigrant visas. And just to recap, non-immigrant visas are temporary visas like tourist visas, student visas, your H-1B, your L, your E-2, uh, anything that is temporary in duration, whereas your immigrant visas are for permanent residency and for green cards. And we will talk about ineligibilities for uh, green card applications um, and waivers for those at a different uh, a different time. But today we're going to focus specifically on non-immigrant visa ineligibilities, or some people call them bans um, and, and, and waivers that kind of go along with those. Yeah, the ineligibility, this word, Mandy, I think we should let our listeners know before we get started what this word means. Because for us, you know, we worked in this for so many years, it's second nature. An ineligibility is just the technical way of saying the reason why they don't give you your visa, right? Now, the most common reason for getting your visa denied is always 214B, which just means that they don't think you're going to use your visa appropriately, right? But then these ineligibilities that we're going to talk about today, these we call them the hard ineligibilities, they are very specific. There's a very specific reason why they will refuse you, such as a 21A uh, or a 6C1 or a 91 a 91A. You know, they've all got different different codes. And so if you've gotten an ineligibility, you've been to a visa interview and they've refused you and handed you a slip of paper that's got one of these listed or they checked a box next to one of these, then you know that this is the reason, the hard ineligibility that they've given you, why they've refused you. And it's different than a 214B because 214B is okay, well, you just go in and you apply again. And if you're well-prepared, you've got a new plan, you explain it differently. That next officer doesn't need to do anything about that previous 214B. That doesn't stay on your record um, as something that has to be dealt with the next time. It's there, they're gonna see it, but it's nothing special that they have to deal with. If you've got one of these hard ineligibilities though, that's permanent on your record. They either have to get rid of that ineligibility or get a waiver to issue over that ineligibility. Yeah, you bring up such a good point, Ben. And I think we were talking about this earlier. Can you explain to everybody the difference between needing that waiver for the ineligibility or you know, maybe getting it removed as you were mm, talking about? Yeah. Well, it's there's two completely separate paths, right? So let's say that you've, you've gotten a 6C1. Let's, let's explain some of these, these little terms too. Like 6C1 is material misrepresentation, AKA fraud. Uh, if, you have been, um, if you've been accused of submitting information that's not true in order to get an immigration benefit, then they might hit you with a 6C1. Or a 21A, which is having committed a crime involving moral turpitude, a CIMT, which is also a very technical term for um, committing a crime that reaches a certain threshold where it's going to give you a ban on entry into the US. Um, if you get one of these, you go in for your next visa appointment and it's gonna be there on your record and you've got two options and they're two very different paths. One is, is saying that this was incorrectly applied. 
and that this, this should not be on your record. You didn't actually commit that crime or you weren't convicted of it or you didn't commit the fraud that you were accused of. And you're trying to get them to remove that ineligibility from your record to be able to issue your visa. The second path is saying, yes, it's true. Yes, I did commit that crime. I was convicted, but I did my time. It was 20 years ago. Time has passed. You know, I'm a different person now. And now I would like to request a waiver for that. So the, the difference is one is saying it didn't happen. The other one is saying, yes, it did happen, but I want a waiver, which is saying, you know, uh, you have to fulfill some requirements for it. You have to convince the officer that, that you know, enough time has passed, that, uh, that it, it, it merits them issuing your visa. And most importantly, they just have to want to do it for you. They have to want to grant you that waiver, that waiver right, Mandy? That's absolutely right. And, you know, if, if you're listening to this and this is something that has happened to you, I know we're going into a lot of details about, you know, the paths and what you need to take. Just make sure that if this applies to you, talk to an expert, talk to somebody at Argo. We're the world's first company of a group of, you know, ex-visa officers who have gotten together and we want to help you succeed on this visa journey. And, you know, sometimes ineligibilities, they're just really, really complicated. There is a technical aspect to it, as Ben was describing, you know, there's legal components to it, but there's also a psychological component where the visa officer has to want to help you and want to give you the chance and support you for a waiver. And so these are all things that we can help you with at Argo. You know, if you sign up for a consultation on our platform, you'll get paired with a, a former visa officer who has made tons of decisions on these, knows exactly, you know, what goes into a successful uh, waiver application. And um, you don't have to do it by yourself. You know, you can, you can work with us and we will walk you through it. Um, but I, I do think, Ben, that it was really interesting that you were talking about this, this, you know, needing the consular officer to have a desire to help you. And I think that's so important. And that's something that, you know, a lot of immigration attorneys don't understand because, you know, whenever somebody has immigration problems, visa problems, they immediately go to a, an immigration attorney. And I think that makes sense. I'm an immigration attorney myself. I understand, you know, because these are people who are experts in the law. But unfortunately, when you go in for your visa interview, you can't bring anybody with you. So you can't bring your attorney in, you know, with their well-drafted memo. You actually have to face that interview by yourself and you have to convince that visa officer to want to help you. And the unfortunate thing about our system is in order to either get that ineligibility removed, um, if that's a possibility, or to get a waiver, all of that requires actually additional work by the visa officer to do those things for you. And, you know, if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that every visa officer interviews, you know, sometimes over a hundred visa applicants a day, and there's a lot of pressure on them to go fast and to be efficient. If their numbers are low, you know, they may get a talking to by their manager. So anything that's going to take extra time, like doing a, a, a waiver uh, request or removing an ineligibility, that's going to take way longer than just, you know, either... Uh, giving you just reaffirming the fact that you have an ineligibility, but not doing anything about it, um, or just 240 being you, which you know is is not the right way to do it. But sometimes these officers will do that when you have an ineligibility, um, and so um, we can show you how best to talk to the visa officer and present them with relevant information, neatly organized in a way that is most likely to get them to help you, and that's what we do at Argo.
Right. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had some clients like that who have a very professionally drafted what they what they're telling me is their waiver application. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen these too. What what they're calling their waiver application. The it's not it's not a technical term that exists for the consular officers. They don't think that, oh, this is your waiver application. Okay, well, let me accept this and review it. This is just another document that someone's trying to show a consular officer. And as we've talked about many times, they're trying to do these visa applications, these visa interviews, two to three minutes max each. You hand somebody a 10-page, a 15-page document, and let's say that people read it an average of one page per minute. You're asking them to take 10 to 15 minutes to review this this, this stack of papers that's gonna explain their situation to you. That's not gonna cut it. The first step that you have to overcome is through your conversation with the visa officer, convincing them that they need to put in some extra time and some extra work in order to get you your visa. And that's only gonna happen through the conversation. It's not, you're not going to achieve that just by handing them documents. That's absolutely right. And if you're listening to us and you're an immigration attorney, we partner with immigration attorneys all the time to make sure that your clients get the best experience at the visa window and that they get the best value for what you're doing for them. So, you know, please reach out to us, email us at hello at argovisa.com. If you're an immigration attorney, we would love to help your clients with these waivers because, you know, unfortunately, as Ben was saying, even if you put together the best drafted memo, you know, legal citations, everything looks amazing. Um, it might and probably won't get the right effect with the visa officer uh, because as Ben mentioned, there's really no such thing as a waiver application. Uh, visa officers, consular officers just in general hate being told what to do. They want to reach the conclusion on their own through conversation with the visa applicant, you know, possibly if something is written a lot more concise, you know, short um, to the point. And this is all something that we can help you with, uh, whether you're somebody, you know, facing this on your own or you already have an immigration attorney, you know, tell your immigration attorney about Argo Visa, tell them that we can help them and, and provide the most value because you really have this one shot to do it right. And you don't want to take a risk with your visa interview. It's not worth it. We have seen a lot of terrible situations happen where families are split up and jobs are lost and you know you never get to go back to the United States because of this very important interview that sometimes only lasts a few minutes. That's true. Uh, Mandy, did you ever have a consular manager that told you there's no such thing as a bad refusal? Yes, unfortunately, I used to hear that all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. That and did you ever hear anybody say, consular managers say, no documents. They will actually walk behind visa officers on the line, you know, interviewing people and say, no documents. If you're looking too long at a document, I want you to stop that. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Just part of consular culture. Yeah. So they'll say there's no such thing as a bad refusal. Basically justifying like if, if you're in doubt, if something's comp, just refuse. And then they say they give you full sanction to do that. No such thing as a bad refusal. If you refuse them, you're within your, your rights to do so. And you know, I, and that's what they'll do a lot of times if, if you have one of these ineligibilities or you're requesting a waiver, unless you've convinced them that they need to put in the extra time, not need to, unless you've convinced them that they want to put in that extra time, they can just say, ah, I'm just gonna refuse, right? And, uh, and that's, that's the hard part. That is just that psychological, 
moment between you and the officer where you're trying to convince them to do something for you, right? It's, it's nothing special just to a visa interview. It's just, you know, in life in general, convincing somebody to do something for you when they don't have to. That is absolutely right. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, especially when they're working under all this pressure, they see the line of people behind you. They have to make a lot of decisions that day. Um, you know, it can be hard to get them to pause and really understand your situation. And I'll give you guys a little bit of a tip. It's never, you know, if you have an ineligibility, it's never a good way to start the conversation by saying, you know, I need a waiver. Please give me a waiver. I demand a waiver. Any question like that. You have to go into the conversation, um, you know, helping them understand exactly what happened. I mean, this whole process that what we do with clients really is to help you help your visa officer make a decision that um, is best for you um, mm -hmm. to convince them that, you know, that you deserve that visa approval or you deserve that waiver. And it's it's not an easy task and it's very difficult to do if you don't have any experience. Whereas for us, you know, I've interviewed over 100,000 visa applicants. Ben, how many have you interviewed? 60,000. Yeah. Or so. Then, or so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when we add up all of our Argo officers, all of their experience and their time interviewing visa applicants, it comes... Uh, up to over a million. And so think about all the years of experience we have behind the, the window at U.S. embassies and consulates around the world. We really understand this process. And so, you know, as we're delving a little bit into, you know, how serious an, an eligibility is, but, you know, please don't tackle this alone because it can be a very dangerous process and we don't want you to you know, not be prepared or say the wrong thing. And then you never get to, you know, come back to the United States, which will be a big problem. Mm -hmm. Right. These ineligibilities too. One thing that I could, I could point out to people is having this, like having a, let's, let's say, um, um, yeah, let's say a 2A1, a crime involving moral, moral turpitude, ineligibility. They're not all the same. If it is applied by a consular officer, a visa officer at an embassy abroad, or if it's applied by the Customs and Border Protection Service at the border when you're entering the U.S., it's going to have a different effect on you when you try to go in for your next interview. And that's something that we only know because of our experience on the inside. And this is just the, the way technically that the systems work. I, if, if Mandy, if you're a visa officer and you put a, six, uh, a 61 or a 2A1 on somebody, on someone, and then they come in for a next interview with me and I'm in a different country at a different consulate, it's a few years later, and I see this and I review the information and I think, oh, wait, you know what? They have these court documents that show that actually this was dismissed without prejudice. There was actually no conviction. So they don't have this 2A1 ineligibility. I can just remove that from their record in the system and issue their visa. But if customs, if CBP at the border put that ineligibility on them, I can't remove that as a visa officer. I have to try to request that the border patrol removes that. And there's no guarantee that I'll be able to get them to do that. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a completely different, different internal process to get that done if it's done from the State Department or if it's done from Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, that's so true. And I think this just comes from, you know, multiple agencies being involved in the visa and immigration process. And unfortunately, it means sometimes for, 
you know, visa applicants and international visitors that there could be a gap where the agencies are not communicating well and you're kind of stuck in the middle. And this is why you really need sort of a guide to help you navigate these complicated internal government, you know, <laughs> communications and how can you put yourself in the best position to be uh, successful. And, you know, I think the interesting thing is most people don't realize, or maybe they do if they're already dealing with waivers, um, that it actually takes quite a long time. So what Ben and I have discussed, you know, this getting the consular officer to decide, yes, you might qualify for a waiver and to support you in that waiver request is really only the first step. Um, and it's, it's a step in the right direction. But then they have to put the request in and it actually goes to um, an office in DC called ARO, and they make the final determination uh, whether or not you're eligible for the waiver. And this process can usually take between four to six months. If you, you know, have an urgent situation going on and you need um, an expedited request, occasionally um, that can happen and then you can get your waiver back in a couple of weeks, but it's very, very rare. The threshold is really high to qualify for an expedite. So um, just keep in mind this timeline when you're looking at your situation is that it's actually gonna take quite a while for it to come back. Now in recent years, the State Department has uh, made the determination uh, jointly with CBP, I believe, to give uh, waiver uh, requests if it comes back approved, you will get a waiver for five years. Uh, so that's actually really good because, um, you know, earlier in my career with the State Department, they were giving initial waivers probably only a year. Sometimes they'll increase it a little bit more. If you, you know, use the first visa for a year well and you come back, you might get one for, you know, two years or three years. But now the default is five years, but it's really important that you're uh, prepared the right way so that you can even get to that point. And this is important because for a lot of our you know, clients around the world, if you're a visitor to the US regularly and you have your tourist visa, usually it's good for 10 years. But if you need a waiver, every single time you're going to need a new waiver basically, but it could be, it could go for as long as five years. So keep that in mind when you're making your travel plans and you're trying to figure out, you know, if you need a new visa and a new waiver to factor that time in. Right, so if you suspect that you might have an ineligibility or you've already gotten an ineligibility and you want to know what your next steps are, send us an email, reach out to us, hello at argovisa.com. Uh, or if you uh, have a question about this, you know, if you know somebody or this has happened in your past, send us a question, tell us that you'd like it to be answered on the podcast and we'll bring it up at our next one. Speaking of questions submitted for the podcast, Mandy, we do have one this week. I'll go ahead and read it for our listeners, okay? Perfect. Okay. From one of our listeners, many who have had their interviews at the U.S. embassies believe that the consular officer has reviewed their case before the interview or has even had a brief look at them. For us as applicants, it seems that the interview doesn't seem to start from scratch, and the officers already know a few things about us, maybe by reviewing the DS-160 in advance. Having this theory in our minds, we think that the basis for decisions about our applications has already been made before. Is this true? What that think, is Mandy? such a good question. I'm so glad this person asked. Um, so the reason why it looks like we might already know something about your case, even perhaps starting with the first or the second question, is because visa officers, consular officers have mastered reading DS-160 applications 
really quickly in the few seconds before you come up to the window. Um, I don't know if you use this um, when you were at the consulate in Guangzhou, Ben, but we always had, you know, specific shortcuts on our keyboard where you just kind of can pull up the DS-160, you can scan it really quickly, you know the important places where you're looking for responses. For example, I remember I would always look to see, okay, number one, has this person had a prior refusal? How did they explain that? Number two, do they have family or relatives in the US? And then I scan the security section to make sure there's no, you know, yes questions answered. And then I'm gonna start from that point in my first or second question, asking the applicant, oh, so tell me about this, tell me about this. And so it might seem like we're pre-vetting or pre-screening applicants, but that's actually not true. We don't have time to do that. We interview so many people a day. So we have just mastered the techniques of just doing this really quickly. That's absolutely right. I 100% agree. Uh, when you go in there, you really are, you are, the decision is being made by that officer right in front of you right then. They are, they are fully empowered to make the decision that they deem is appropriate during your visa interview. It's not been made for them beforehand. They're not just saying, oh, they've already been, I've already been told to deny this. And so I'm going to deny them right now. That's not happening. That, that officer right there in front of you at the window has the full authority to make the decision right then. That's absolutely right. And the good news is then this means you can prepare. There's no you know, cherry picking of cases that they're gonna refuse up front. And if you're someone who's about to fill out your DS-160 to get that visa appointment, and you're a little concerned because you've had a prior refusal before, or perhaps something has happened recently, you, know, you have to be honest on your application, of course, but you're worried about how to explain it. Again, drop us a line at hello at argovisa.com. We're happy to, you know, uh, sign you up for a consultation, but also explain to you, you know, what is the most effective way to present what happened to you in that DS-160, because that is the start of this conversation with the visa officer. It starts with the DS-160, and then they're ready to talk to you. And so it is still very important what you put in the DS-160. Absolutely. Great. Uh, so if you have any more questions, please send them to us, hello at argovisa.com. Uh, and especially if you have an ineligibility, if you've been refused under one of those codes, send us an email and we will uh, try to sh shed some light on it for you as to what that means for your future visa applications. Absolutely. And again, please send us any questions that you want addressed on the podcast. You know, you could just put podcast in the subject line. We'll make sure that we can answer it on air so everybody can kind of share in the knowledge and insights that we've gleaned over the years as visa officers. And we're here to help. We are indeed. We'll talk to you so, next. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. And, you know, Ben and I are always so happy to do these shows. Um, it's really fun for us to share our expertise. Um, and we hope that we'll be uh, hearing from you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next time. Bye, guys. Bye.